Hey there, this is Larry, and I'm here with Armin. You're about to listen to a great episode. But before you do, we want to let you know that we're now podcasting over at the Bold Idea Podcast. That's right, and we're not adding any new episodes to Reinventure Me, but we think you're really going to like what we're doing on the Bold Idea Podcast. We're interviewing some great guests and packing ideas and inspiration to help you put your faith to work to bring your idea to life. So when you're done with this episode, go check it out at boldideapodcast.com. Episode 69 of the Reinvention Me Podcast. Want to truly make an impact in the world? Well, mentor a millennial. There's lots of them, and they're eager to learn from you. And we're going to talk about that in today's episode of Reinventure Me. Find your next great beginning. Welcome to the Reinventure Me podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Yeah. Oh, God. That is Armin the Dream. <laughs> Straight from the B-Box. <laughs> and I'm Larry Gates. We are your co-host for the Reinventure Me podcast, and this is the podcast for what's next in life. And Armin is showing his beatboxing prowess here. <laughs> Only for you, Larry. Am I willing to humiliate myself publicly? <laughs> well, we're here to help you discover new ways to reinvent your life, your opportunities, and venture God's called you into, because this is the Reinventure Me podcast, and I'm Larry Gates. With Armin Asadi. Armin the dream. And we have to say that we did that because this is a special millennial episode, so we're getting into <laughs> That's what all millennials do. (laughs) They just go around beatboxing, right? There we go. Let's disfuse that one right away. That's right. Just like Gen X used to carry boomboxes, right? Well, Armin, (laughs) it is so good to see you. Thank you, sir. And we just want to say, well, congratulations. Something happened. That's right. Since the last time we We got together. popped out a baby. Popped out a baby. That's (laughs) awesome. Yeah, the Too whole uh, the whole studio audience here is just <laughs> going wild. Them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, man. It, I mean, it's an understatement, the most obvious statement I can make, but yeah, it's life-changing. It's life-altering. It's realigning. I don't as, know. As he's looking at me through narrow slits. Oh, it's man. Like, <laughs> sleep. It's sleep deprivation <laughs> takes over. That's all right. It's worth it, man. It's the cutest she's thing. She's a beautiful girl. Oh, she's so cute. I can't take it. Yeah. I can hardly handle it. She squeaks. It's the weirdest <laughs> thing. She sounds like a little squeaky toy. Armin posted on Facebook a beautiful picture of his little daughter, and he says, or we're growing her up to be a young lady, but she farts like a man <laughs> and smiles every time she does. Yeah, she does. It's so weird. <laughs> it's just great. That's daddy's girl. Well, right. welcome to daddom. Yeah. What's a- the biggest thing you've learned? Oh, man. I don't even know how to answer that. I think I learned how selfless I can be. Mm. So one of the first things I learned when I got married was how selfish I really was, <laughs> right? And then I yes. had a child and I realized how selfless I can be. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like the night became day. I think one of our friends said it best. She said, this whole time when we've been married, but we didn't have a kid, it was like we could see the world in black and white. But as soon as we had a kid, it was like we could see in color for the oh, first yeah. time. That's literally how it feels like. I mean, we had that epiphany out walking her in the stroller. It was just That's great colors were more vibrant it was so weird 
It's the most content in the moment I've ever felt. Yeah. And what surprised me when I became a first time dad was how fast you love that thing. Mm. Just yeah. instantly. I mean, it's love at first sight and yeah. you're smitten. It's so weird. <laughs> it's an experience you can't explain or describe to anyone. No. Because there's no way you can describe an emotion that wasn't there and then all of a sudden it is there. Right. You just it's just where did that come from? Yeah, it's not logical. Right. It's not rational. It's just right. there. You have all this anticipation and you're nervous, you know, because yep. you don't know what's gonna happen, what's gonna be expected of you. Yeah. Because I remember when Anna was first pregnant, our first pregnancy. She's like, the nurse instructed me to be sure to take a good record of how far apart her contractions were. Oh, so gosh. I meticulously logged every contraction thinking this was my good my job <laughs> as a good dad <laughs> to be was to log this so I had, I had the same job yeah okay so she's already seven and a half centimeters dilated going into oh, labor wow. when i bring her to the hospital they like said well you should probably get her here before this time if you Next have another time. kid yeah. you know? <laughs> and and i'm sitting here with my log sheet <laughs> and like who do i give this to <laughs> nobody wanted to nobody see that wanted. i don't care <laughs> it's just something to keep dad busy doing yeah, it really was <laughs> good thing we have apps nowadays that's yeah. how i did oh, it oh all right yeah, for sure yeah. yeah oh okay yeah. that's that's good i hadn't thought about that it was much easier than your actual log <laughs> uh, well congratulations again we probably should get into the show cuz we could probably spend a whole episode just talking about your new baby right on we want to talk today about how to mentor a millennial if you really want to make an impact on life. And we haven't talked about mentoring. We've talked about being a mentor. We've talked about intentional apprenticing and setting yourself up to be an intentional apprentice way back 61 episodes ago. Episode Episode eight. We talked about being an intentional apprentice and really that if you want to learn well from others, you'll do four things. We said to start small and stay really focused in what you want to talk about with your mentor to pursue the best ones you can, to always take a learner attitude, and to always own the pursuit. So as a mentee, it's your job to always make it valuable for the mentor to stay engaged. Mm-hmm. And, and that's an important important attribute. And then, you know, a few episodes ago, we really enjoyed having Chuck Stecker on the program. Man, and- I loved that episode yeah it wasn't that good Chuck and rocked my Chuck, and Chuck is a great guy episode 64 and he talked about making a choice between living your life as a legend or a legacy mm-hmm. so we thought for this episode we try to put those two things together and say one way to really live as a legacy is by investing in another mm-hmm. and there are a lot of millennials out there yeah right yeah oh yeah and the importance of mentoring is so vital yeah as a matter of fact you just told me about a story today that I thought would be a perfect inspire me yeah segue so maybe you could share that as our inspire me today sure some time ago a sports writer for the detroit news by the name of mitch album wrote a book called tuesdays with maury's and he was meeting every tuesday with his mentor who was an older guy and he was investing in his life and maury was dying from als he was a former college professor that Mitch kept up with. And now Mitch had the same kind of experience that I did where he had an emotionally absent dad, you know, Mm -hmm. somebody who never really invested in them as a mentor. And so Mitch was drawn to Maury and met every week with him Mm -hmm. as he was going through his final days in his life. And in his book, he writes a lesson that Maury gave Mitch. And here's what he said. He said, Mitch, The culture doesn't encourage you to think about such things until you're about to die. Mm. We're so wrapped up in egotistical things, career, family, having enough money, 
meeting the mortgage, getting a new car, fixing the radiator when it breaks. We're involved of trillions of little acts just to keep going. So we don't get into the habit of standing back and looking at our lives and saying, is this all? Is this all I want? Is something missing? Mitch writes, he paused. Maury said to Mitch, you need someone to probe you in that direction. Mm. It won't just happen automatically. And Mitch writes, I know what he was saying. We all need teachers in our lives. And mine was sitting right in front of me. Mm. And I remember when I read that, and I remember a time when Anna said, you know, you have mentors in your life. They're sitting right in front of you, but you may not be acknowledging them. Mm -hmm. And I believe that that's also true for mentors seeing there's guys in front of them or ladies, there's ladies in front of you that could use your words, your wisdom, your counsel. They're right in front of you Mm. and you may not be seeing them. That's such a good story. Kind of reminds me of what Dr. Chuck Stucker said. He was making a point. He said, you can either live your life, write your resume, or you could live your life to write your eulogy. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of that same type of advice Mm -hmm. where it just completely changes your perspective on life and how you live it. Right. And how you carry yourself. Yeah. And having somebody that's going to ask you the tougher questions, the life questions, the important questions, not how do you get more successful materially yeah, or how do you get more comfortable, Mm -hmm. but maybe the questions of how do you get more uncomfortable. Absolutely. We all need people in our lives like that. Well, Armin, we want to talk specifically about the millennials here. The idea of this episode, of course, is to inspire those of us like me that aren't millennials to become more engaged in mentoring cats like you (laughs) it is hurting just for our audience nobody really has an exact definition of when the millennial period or generation begins but it's generally agreed that it's in the early 80s to somewhere around 2000 yep and you would fall into the last part of that is that right the actual dates that's most commonly agreed upon that makes a millennial generation is 1981 to 1993 okay so that's the most agreed upon at least timeline and i'm the genesis of the millennial. Right. You were at the very beginning of that. I am the oldest you, millennial. You're the trendsetter for the <laughs> yeah, millennials. That's right. They're looking to you. <laughs> I am the beginning. See, they get their cues from you. All right. Well, we got the right guy on the show here. <laughs> so what do we need to know about millennials? So yeah, here's some just interesting tidbits about millennials. So 1981 to 1993, if they're born in that timeline, that's what makes a millennial. There's over 80 million millennials that make up the entire population of the United States of America. That is the largest generational population in America, only second to the baby boomer generation. Mm. Are you considered baby boomer? I am. Okay. I'm, I'm a laggard in the baby boomer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're on the opposite ends of yes, our generations. Okay. So things to just be aware of. The millennial generation, we're affected by 9-11. So think Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. We were affected by one of the biggest housing busts in history. We were affected by a huge financial meltdown. But at the same time, we're an incredibly tech-savvy generation. We're very diverse. We're connected. We're activists for personal beliefs and rights. On the flip side, though, to say maybe the baby boomer generation, Mm -hmm. we are considered to be narcissistic, Mm -hmm. uh, entitled. But in reality, this generation truly wants to make a difference. And not a lot of people realize that. Hence, us being coined the term the social justice generation. Mm -hmm. One thing that helped point to that was a study that was done by Walden University and another one that was done by Pew Research. When they did this research, they found out that there was less than 1% said that they want to be famous or anything equivalent Mm. to that. 
which is the least amount compared to any other generation that's ever been surveyed on this. Back the, to that whole idea of that they don't care as much as legend as legacy then. Is that what you're right. saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the top three things that they really cared most about is that they wanted to have healthy lives, healthy marriages, and they wanted influence. So influence even came over affluence. Mm-hmm. So this is a generation that is fully believing the fact that a person of influence can make more impact than a person of affluence. Mm-hmm. And this is this generation truly believes it. In the survey, 81% of the millennial generation say that they donate money, goods, or services on a regular basis. Oh, well, that's got to be highest among the generations. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Bar none. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hence that whole social justice. Mm-hmm. No just, wonder so many churches want millennials. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have much to give, but if we have it, we'll give it. 81% of you will. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It might be 10 cents, but hey, whatever. We'll give uh-huh. it. By 2025, millennials will make up 75% of the workforce. Wow. Think about that. That is a massive population of the workforce right there. And I say this tongue in cheek, we're considered the most quote unquote informed generation to have ever lived. All right. Why do you say tongue in cheek? Because the reality with our generation is just because we are the quote unquote informed does not mean or and does not equate to us having accurate information. Oh, so maybe you're the most inundated. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that would definitely be a right term to use. Okay. But even though they say we are the most informed, our information isn't usually accurate, to be honest. So a lot of times it's just the most popular information, right? That's what we get. And that's what we accept as truth a lot of times. So the information that we get from sites like BuzzFeed, I mean, the credibility of BuzzFeed is equivalent to, you know, or less than Wikipedia, you know, but we consider that fact. Or <laughs> kind of reminds me of one of the FIFA directors that quoted an Onion article as proof of an American conspiracy, not realizing serious? that Onion was a satirical program. So there, of course, there's a lot of information out there. And so what you're saying is that the millennials, they are more apt to be taking information from a variety of sources, mm-hmm. but you're saying that they're probably less discerning about whether that information is actually accurate. So they're more likely to be gullible with what they're fed from social channels. Is yes. that what I'm hearing? Yes. And I'm not generalizing saying this is all millennials, right? I'm saying that there's a majority of us that take popular information and take that and say this Social is proof is really important to a millennial. Right, okay. right. right. And so there's that term that says knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. But in this situation, the knowledge that we're getting sometimes isn't the accurate knowledge. And I think where the importance of this whole thing that comes up in terms of the baby boomers and the people that have just lived more life than us is I think there's a line between knowledge and wisdom. And I think when you cross knowledge over into wisdom is that life experience. You have experienced life And now that knowledge that you have has become wisdom from that experience. And I think that's what we lack. We lack so many experience. So do you think the average millennial out there, do you think that they're seeing that they're lacking that experience and they want to gain information from a mentor? Are they hungry for mentors right now? You know, I could answer that either way. I would say most of them, the hungry ones, yes. And a lot of them are hungry, but I can't say that's all of the millennials, but I would say most of us see the need for mentorship because it's not an unheard of or an unpopular topic. 
Yeah. And of course, it's hard to characterize a generation, but I think if I just listen to the narrative that's formed about millennials, at least from the boomers that I hang around with, there's a lot of sense that they're disengaged, Mm -hmm. that they are retreat to their video games or their technology kind of hide behind those things. And that all interactions are a level removed. In other words, the preference for text messaging versus a direct dialogue either face-to-face or by phone. Right. Uh, the preference for email or text messaging or you know any of the social tools yeah. as a way of shielding themselves from having to expose the other parts of communication, you know, 70% or however much of communication is nonverbal. Yeah. A lot of that is, is not preferential as a way of communicating among millennials. Is that true? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is a shocking statistic. I don't know. I think Gallup did this research to find this out, but... Right now, America, especially my generation, is considered the most socially isolated generation and culture on the planet. So even though we consider ourselves socially connected... And have a high social justice value. Yes. You're the least socially connected. They use the term isolated. Isolated, okay. So we are the most socially isolated generation and culture on the planet. So the way they came up with that is the length of time it takes us to get from point A to point B for work, for hangouts, the amount of time we spend online, in front of a TV, blah, 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 blah. So they took... Yeah, a lot of the technologies that you grew up with are isolated technologies. In other words, you're doing something in front of a screen. Yes. Or a phone. Yes. Whereas, you know, when I grew up, it was you're playing soccer or football or whatever. Yeah. You come home with blood on your knees. You're doing something. A lot of that play now is much more sanitized than it was, you know, when we were growing up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I hadn't thought much about that. So now how does that affect mentoring? So if you think about the millennials that you know, and I think you said a minute ago that the ones that you know are pretty hungry for mentors. Yeah. They're looking for mentoring. Mm -hmm. What makes a good mentor to them in their mind? What are they on the lookout for? Depends what they're passionate about. Okay. Right. So I'm very passionate about two things my spirituality and I'm very passionate about business. Those two things I absolutely love. Right. Mm-hmm. So you'll notice most of my mentors have something to do with my faith or have something to do with business mm-hmm. or both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's where I'm most of my mentors are kind of both and. Yeah. So it really depends what their focus is and what their focus of passion is. That's where you'll find out who they're looking for. But you'll realize that it's a very entrepreneurial generation and, again, a very social justice-driven generation. So if there's good causes that they can fight for, they will fight for. So if they see a mentor pursuing a cause that aligns with them, especially Mm -hmm. a social cause, they're going to be more apt to say, that's somebody I want to learn. Yes. Or if it's someone who's very successful in business, but uses their... Like Tom Shoes, for instance, right? Yes. Yes. He's Um, become kind of a millennial iconic figure, right? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's someone who's willing to use their influence to make the world a better place. We're just drawn to them. It's just like moths to a flame. Absolutely. (laughs) We love that, right? Because you know how to be successful, but at the same time, you know how to be selfless and serve the world. And there's something that's just very romantic and endearing and engaging to us. We want that more than anything. All right. Now, let's turn this toward the mentor now. So suppose you're now considering mentoring a millennial. What are some of the best practices that you've experienced that mentors have done with you that has kept you engaged and has been sensitive to perhaps your millennial perspective? For example, 
Jay Coughlin. I just started getting mentored by him maybe two, two and a half months ago. His process was very fresh to me still. But I remember sitting down both both my partner and I, Sam, and I sat down with Jay. And Jay's an incredibly successful human being, and he's successful in business, same industry of business that we're in. So I thought we're going to go straight to business. And we kind of did, but all his questions were surrounded by life goals, life aspirations, life health, that kind of stuff. And he went so hard, so direct with these types of questions that you can't just spout off answers. I mean, Sam and I would just kind of sit there and look at each other out of the corner of our eyes thinking, oh, crap. I've never even thought about that, let alone know how to answer that. I mean, we kept throwing answers his way. I mean, but honestly, we made up 35% of the answers that we give, but it was those deep-rooted questions that help us analyze something deeper than what we're used to analyzing. Good. Good. So I think those deep questions are probably some of the best approach that they can take with us. Yeah, good. Other than that, I think one of the best things I learned from Pastor Peter Haas is I remember he tells this to everyone, including his entire congregation. He said that I'm not trying to be arrogant by saying that I don't have time for this. And I'm not trying to dismiss you as if you're not important, but I need you to know that I am busy enough where you need to earn my time and keep my attention Mm. because you're not the only one. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And that sense of, okay, I'm not entitled to this and I don't have a right to this, but I know that I want this. What am I willing to do to keep it? Mm -hmm. Even if I get it once, doesn't mean I'm going to get it twice or a third time. Yeah. And that really reflects what we had talked about back in episode eight of owning the pursuit that the the apprentice needs to own the pursuit. Yeah. My favorite story with Pastor House was one of the guys that got him to mentor him was even after Pastor Peter said no to him several times, the guy just eventually came to him and said, Hey, it's summer. I'd love to cut your grass. Mm -hmm. He said, "Uh, I'll, right? You just want to cut my grass? He's like, yeah, man, I, I just want to serve you. Just, I don't care if you're home or not. Just keep the garage open. I'll come grab your lawnmower and I'll cut your grass. Twice a week, he would come over to cut the grass. That guy got more time with Pastor Peter than his entire staff did mm-hmm. because he was, he was there. willing to serve. Yep. And every day he would, mm-hmm. Pastor Peter would come out, give him a cup of water and they would sit down and talk half an hour, hour and he got mentored better than anyone else. And all he had to do was cut his grass. Yep. So good. Serve. He earned it. He earned it. Well, what else have you learned in, in terms of things that might be helpful for a mentor to mentor a millennial? Helping us figure out, are the goals that we set, are they set because we believe that's what people expect of us, or it's because that's what we truly want out of life? And I know that almost sounds like I'm insulting the intelligence of most millennials, and that's not my goal, because I fall under that category is a lot of times I realize the goals I had set were a lot of times based on expectations of my family, of my colleagues, of my friends. There was just this expectations they had on me based on my giftings or whatever. You know, all my family is doctors and engineers. So I kind of grew up thinking that was a necessary thing for me to be. But I never really dug into who I wanted to be. And I'm focusing on the who not what do I want to accomplish, but who do I want to be? And I honestly took people sitting in front of me asking me, why do I want to do that? Yeah. Not how do I want to do that, but they asked me the question, why do you want to do that? Yeah, that's good. You know, and I think for the mentors who helped me realize who I want to be rather than what I want to accomplish, 
that was some of the best experiences that I had, especially early on in my mentorship. It just radically shifted how I viewed life. And yeah, how I and many goals. of us are not even aware of how we're influenced by what we think others want from us. Oh, geez, and, yeah. Yeah, Alvin Toffler had said, if you don't have an agenda, you're part of someone else's agenda. Right. And I think that's largely true, because if you don't know where you're going, you're going to take your social cues about where to go from those who are important to you. Mm-hmm. And they'll always guide you along that path. And so that's a great question for a mentor to be asking any mentee, but one in the millennials would be great is to say, Hey, so why is it that that's important to you? Talk, right. Unpack that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I know the other thing that Jay taught me that I thought was hugely important was just writing down your goals. Mm-hmm. At first I thought that as is kind of lame. Everybody kind of says that. And then he shared a story, which I won't get into because I don't know if we have enough time, but it was a game changer for me in terms of writing down my goals. But it's really been interesting, even within the last two months, of just going back. Because I literally wrote down what I thought were my goals right after we met. I mean, I didn't even sleep that night. He ruined my night just based on the questions he asked. I remember writing a whole page of goals down. And then I remember just last week or two weeks ago, looking at them and thinking, at least a quarter of these are crap. Those aren't really my goals. You wouldn't be able to recognize it until you write it down. And I just read a study that you're 31% more likely to accomplish a goal if it's written down. Yeah. Anything else that you've picked up from mentors along the way that um, are valuable to you? Yes. I could keep going for a while, but I'm kind of curious to get into your head because you mentor millennials. You know, you spend a lot of time doing this. I'm kind of curious what's floating around in your head and what your process is and how you add value. Well, I think one of the things that's hard is they don't know how to find somebody to mentor. And I find that astonishing because there are so many people that I find that are truly looking for mentors. And I think the key is in how you make yourself accessible as a mentor. Yeah. When you start expressing interest in another person, assuming that they align with your values, like you talked about before, they represent an interest that you might have that you go, ah, I I consider them to have some value. The best way is just to make yourself accessible by demonstrating an interest in them. And I think far too much we want people to be interested in us Mm -hmm. as a mentor. We want to be pursued as a mentor. We want somebody to come up and say, hey, will you mentor me? And we haven't taken the step to say that we're interested in who they are as a person first. Hmm. And I think that's what will unlock that. And so if you're wondering, oh, yeah, I'm interested in mentoring somebody, but I can never find anybody to mentor. Well, they're all around you. Mm-hmm. Just start expressing some interest in them. Yeah, I think that's great advice. That's and, true. And I don't know anybody that doesn't want somebody to express an interest in them. Yeah, absolutely. You know? <laughs> yeah, we desire, we crave it. I would even add that most millennials, not only do they crave it, but I think... One of the things that we won't admit to because we'll come across as overconfident, borderline cocky, is that we're really intimidated Mm -hmm. and we won't admit to it, but we're intimidated. Mm -hmm. We don't feel big, but we act big. We actually feel small. Mm -hmm. And so when we sit in front of someone like you or whoever else that potential mentor might be, we go in there thinking, who the heck am I? What do I have to offer? I'm nobody. We go into the negatives. I haven't done enough. I haven't accomplished enough. I don't have enough letters after my name. I've mentioned, I think, on the show before when I've sat down with people, especially like when they graduated from college and they're connecting with me to try to figure out some things about where they should go. They're almost apologetic that they haven't figured out some very fundamental things in their life. I say, relax. Yeah. Most of the people that I know at my age are still trying to figure those things out too. Hence reinvention me, people. Well, exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> you know, so I think being accessible and demonstrating an interest is really important. I think another thing too is if you're starting out as a mentor, your key should not be this is somebody I'm going to change, but this is somebody I'm investing in to get to know. That's really and good. And the consequence of getting to know them yeah. is that both of you will be changed by it. They're very rarely do I have a relationship with someone who is mentor mentee. It is kind of bi-directional mentoring. Mm-hmm. And it's just that there's somebody who's more thirsty for what somebody else can give. Yeah. But then as you go down the road, you find, hey, I'm getting a lot from this other person. Yeah. And sometimes you can feel like you're taking it all in from one person. And then beautiful illustration of this is the movie Finding Forrester. Love that movie. And in that movie, Sean Connery plays a reclusive author who a young street kid breaks into his house turns out that this kid leaves behind his backpack filled with journals that he's been writing, a book that he's been writing. And so they engage in this mentoring-mentee relationship. But the fact of the matter is the mentor was the one perhaps that was changed the most Hmm. as a consequence of their interaction. Hmm. And so that's a beautiful illustration of how mentoring works. When you reach out to mentor someone, you might think, hey, I'm here to invest and make a change and help somebody get a leg up. And well, yeah, you can do all that. Yeah. But you need to be open enough as a mentor to learn from them too, because that's where the real beauty and the, the real value comes in. It's true. I mean, even people I've mentored have rocked my world in ways that I never imagined. They'll call me out. Yeah. Oh, well, I give them the permission to call me out. But when they call me out, it rocks my world. Yeah. Because I have to go back and think, oh. Am I really coming across like that? That's not cool. I should right. think about this. Yeah, right. right on. And I like what Jay did, and Jay's a great guy. I know him, and I like what he did by asking you tough questions. And And that's the next advice I have for mentoring is don't just settle for superficiality because you can talk about how the day is gone or the week is gone till the cows come home. And you can talk like we talked about with Mitch Album about how to fix the radiator and all that stuff. Right. But ask the probing deep questions yeah. about where they're going to go. I've got a list of some. I'll put some on the website on the show notes. Okay. And these are good questions to ask for yourself. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, like uh, one that gets me here is when have you demonstrated compassion by taking action on behalf of another person? Ooh. You know, just think about that for a minute. What was the last time you took action on behalf of someone else mm. and demonstrate compassion that way? Great list of questions I'll have on the show notes so you can take a look at. Modeling transparency, I think, is really key. Oh, I love that. As a you know, Art. you've got to go first Amen. And, and open up because Amen. you won't get through the shell yes. that we all put around ourselves yes. if a mentor doesn't say, Hey, I've got warts too. Heck yes. Just anybody who is not a millennial that's listening to it, if there's anything millennials hate, it's fake. It's the politicking. It's facades. It's the mask. Can't stand it. When you talk to millennials and ask them why they don't go to church a lot of times, they hate the facade. Mm -hmm. They hate the masks. They hate having to feel like being something that they don't want to be or aren't, that we just hate it. And I will generalize the heck out of that <laughs> and be okay with it. Like mm-hmm. that is one thing I'm okay generalizing because I have yet to meet a millennial that says, oh, I love people who know how to politic well. Mm-hmm. Nobody, not one person. We hate fake. We love transparency. Yep. I mean, can't get enough of it. We're drawn to it. Even if you're negative with your transparency, we still trust you more. Well, I think it's one of those, what have you got to lose? Yeah. Uh, the fear of opening up and being a little bit vulnerable about where you're at can reap benefits of return. Yeah. And far too often, 
that is untapped ground. Yep. I'd yeah. rather have you hate me for who I am than love me for who I'm not. There you it's go. It's a lot less stressful <laughs> for go. me to just be me being hated at the same time. Well, I mean, our episode's running a little long. I think as a millennial, you should challenge us older farts on how we might be able to engage and mentor a millennial. Ah, oh, man. How would you do it? I don't know. I've, I haven't put any thought into it. Just off the top of my head, I would just say there's millennials all around you. Engage them. Ask them questions. And these questions that Larry has written out, they're amazing questions because they draw out character rather than ability or skill. And if you see that we're struggling to answer those questions or to have an answer that we're even confident in, that should be your first sign that we need a mentor and offer yourself up. And I don't mean offer to mentor them, just offer to meet with them once. And if that meeting goes well, offer to meet with them again. And if it doesn't go well, stop it. But at some point, put it on them to carry the relationship. Yeah. And I might even suggest as a challenge me, answer those questions for yourself before yeah. you ask them of another. Right on. You got to be willing to share what your answer is to that question. Yeah, right. All right. Well, we are truly out of time. I enjoyed getting you back in the studio again, Armin. And <laughs> we'll have to have your daughter come in sometime and scream in the scream microphone. In the micro- <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all the time we have. Of course, this is the Reinventure Me podcast. You'll find the show notes at reinventure.me slash six nine. We'd love for you to leave us a comment on our show notes or to give us a call at 612-314-5447 or leave us a comment on our Facebook page. Whatever we like for you to just get the word out and certainly review us on iTunes or Stitcher and tell your friends what you think. Okay, thanks for being with us. And this is all the time we have. This is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. Saying so long. You've been listening to the Reinventure Me podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. <laughs>